Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Marco from the Basketball Doctors. Have you ever jammed your finger or injured your wrist while playing basketball? Do you want to know what took Steph Curry so long to get back onto the basketball court? Today, we have an episode with an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in hand and finger injuries. We go over Steph Curry's injury and basketball hand finger injuries. So stay tuned. the Basketball Doctors Podcast. My name is Marco Lopez. I am a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength conditioning coach. My name is Gabe Ignacio. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Our goal is to empower our listeners with evidence-based information of all things basketball. That includes injuries, recovery, rehab, nutrition, sports performance, and training. We will be interviewing key influencers to help you become a more well-rounded athlete at any skill level. Now we have one question for you. Are you ready to ball for life? Let's get it. Hey, Dr. Patel, thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Marco, for having me. So my name is uh, Amr Patel. I am an orthopedically trained surgeon, but I specialize in hand, elbow, and shoulder injuries. I'm actually moving to California in a couple weeks, and I'm joining a practice in uh, Laguna Beach in Irvine called South County Orthopedic Specialist. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a huge basketball fan and I love talking about all things orthopedics, especially when it uh, relates to the NBA. Perfect. I I know you mentioned you you love basketball. What sparked your interest in basketball? I think part of it is growing up in Southern California. You know, we didn't have an NFL team there. We, we We had the 49ers up north, the Oakland Raiders, and down south San Diego. But in Orange County, there was no NFL team. So I think people there naturally gravitated towards basketball because it's easy to play and the Lakers were in town. So since then, I've always been a huge Lakers fan. And really, it's a, definitely a sport that anyone can pick up pretty easily, play all year round, especially in California. Yeah, I'm so bummed about this season. I mean, I'm a diehard Laker fan. And I was like, this is the rebuild year. Rest in peace, Kobe. I was like, this is going to be the year, you know, bring it back for Kobe. But he's still... I mean, hopefully there's still a season, I mean, or next season, I don't know. Speaking about uh, basketball, and I know you're a huge Laker fan, I want to jump into a topic that us Laker fans, we don't like this team, the Golden State Warriors, and Steph Curry's injury. What's, what's going on with that? What happened with that? I know a lot, there's a lot of speculation of what went down. He was out for a while. Can you talk to us, like, what exactly was his injury? Sure. So, as everyone here knows, Steph Curry got injured in uh, – the end of October, early November, during a game, he got his hand sideswiped and he had immediate pain, was out of the game. So as far as we know, he was diagnosed with a metacarpal fracture and underwent surgery for it pretty quickly. The thing that's a little unusual about Steph Curry's injury is the amount of time that he was out. So in my practice and for most people, A metacarpal fracture that is treated surgically is usually treated in a variety of ways, whether that could be plates, screws, or sometimes wires that are temporary. Regardless, most people return back to playing professional basketball in eight, maybe nine weeks, but really rarely is it more than that. 
Steph Curry's timeline was a lot longer. So he was projected to be out for three months, and he was even out for a little bit longer than that, exactly right when the coronavirus hit and sports for the NBA ended. From what we know, he actually had pins placed inside his fracture to keep the alignment in a more desirable position for the bones, and the pins were later removed by the surgeon at about eight weeks. And the reason for that is that if you have hardware that stays in the hand, especially in a elite ball handler like Steph Curry, who needs his hand for his sport, that there's a chance that he could develop a fracture around those pins or the screws or plates. So I think part of it was the surgical selection by the surgeon in order to allow him to be out longer, personally because I believe that it was a lost season and they wanted to justify him not returning to play quickly. Perfect. Yeah, I know you mentioned like taking out the screws, taking out the wall, and getting everything and preventing any future injuries. What are some of the, like from your practice, seeing like with people that, with kind of Steph Curry's injury, when they go back to sport, is there any repercussions or have you seen like, hey, any complaints that they have going back to the sport? So if, if, if hardware, hardware means like plates and screws or pins. So if hardware is kept inside the hand, there is a risk that those plates and screws or pins could become loose and irritate the skin. So that's one of them. The second one is that anytime you're cutting the skin, especially on the back of the hand, there's a chance of developing scar tissue that prevents motion. So a lot of these are done through small incisions. And the last one is anytime you have something in the hand or another bone that's holding a fracture together, you could always develop a fracture just at the end of that at what we call a stress riser where the bone is softer. So in NBA players, I've seen, not for professional athletes, but for more recreational athletes, I've definitely seen players break the bone right at the end of the play. And one recent example of that from what we know is Rajon Rondo last year where he had a plate put in for a hand fracture and actually went back to surgery just a month later to have it revised. So these are real risks. And I think because of Rondo's complication a year ago, they were a little more cautious with Curry this year. Perfect. And talking about fractures, what are the most common fractures for basketball players in the hand? So by far the most common injuries to the hand are dislocations and fractures of the fingers. A dislocation happens when one bone slips out of position relative to another bone at the joint. Most of these are what we call simple dislocations where there is no fracture, it's just a stretching or tearing of ligaments. And the good thing about that is that if, as long as the bone is pushed back into place, which a lot of times you see them doing on the sidelines or in the back, locker room where they push it back in place and get an x-ray, those players can return pretty quickly, basically immediately. So a really common example that we saw last year in the playoffs was actually Steph Curry. In the semifinals of the Western Conference, he dislocated his finger and they pushed it back in. He went back right back in the game. We did see his shot was off for a couple of games and I think actually a couple of weeks because you get swelling in your fingers. But at least it doesn't mean that you're going to risk any long-term complications uh, as long as you can move through the pain. The other common injury we see are fractures of the metacarpal, which is a bone in the hand, and also the phalanges, which are kind of your finger bones that you can see. Most of those can be treated, once again, without surgery with braces and splints. But 
a selection do need surgery, as we see in the case for some of these more high-profile athletes that recently needed an operation. Based on your um, response to that in regards to some people need surgery versus other people don't, what are the factors that, you know, in your mind, guide your decision to have a person have surgery versus non-surgical? So uh, let me retract that statement a little bit from what I said. There's no such thing as anyone needing surgery. So part of being in, you know, taking care of people who are either recreational or professional athletes is that you really try to tailor the treatment based on their needs. So I'll give you an example. Someone who is an elderly person who breaks their hand and maybe how Steph Curry did would get a cast because the bone mostly heals in some position, but the position doesn't have to be perfect because the demands are really different versus in sports, you know, for Steph Curry, his bone was shifted out of place enough to the point that they thought the bone wouldn't heal reliably in a good position, which may cause his fingers to rotate in weird ways or lose motion. For someone who plays in the NBA, they're a little more aggressive about treating those fractures because of the risk of having a ball swat their hand and re-break and because they really need uh, excellent ball control to play. Versus an NFL lineman, most of these injuries go in a cast and they go play right away. So it really depends on the sport. Um, I think in the NBA with hand injuries, they're much more conservative, much more aggressive about surgery and much more reluctant to get them back playing sooner. Versus the NFL, if you're not in a highly skilled position where you're dealing with the ball a lot, you can really get away with non-opera treatment or even surgery and playing right away with a cast. Perfect. Yeah, I know basketball involves a lot of hand movement, dexterity, and control. Can you tell us about the whole eight-week process in being in a cast? I think things are a little different now. Traditionally, for bones in the hand, we treated them with cast. So cast is basically a set of fiberglass or plaster that keeps your hand in a certain position. And the idea is if you can get the hand in a good position and on the x-ray, the bones look lined up good, your body should heal that bone up normally around four weeks from most injuries of the hand. The difference now is that we've moved away from full-time casting and now do a lot of removable casting because we learned that you don't have to be stuck in a cast and not able to wash your hands and get stiff. We can put you in temporary cast if the bone is stable on the x-rays that you can remove to take a shower as long as you're using it the majority of the time. For NBA players, a lot of them, you know, especially if some of these fractures that don't need surgery or just need a splint, they go into a temporary splint that they use when they're not playing. And then they go into either some straps for the fingers or something really form fit for the hand that they could potentially play in. So a really common example is actually Dirk Nowitzki. He actually had an injury several years ago. And during the um, playoffs, that they beat the heat in. He had a temporary splint on his hand for an injury. Yeah, it's crazy. And because I always wondered, you know, what exactly, you know, there's a lot of these new kind of splints, casts they're doing. Um, they'll come in, come out of it. That's, that's really interesting. Talking about how, you know, the, uh, special, you know, fittings on their hands. I want to talk about one injury specifically, like Kyle Lowry's thumb injury. I know it's more of a ligamentous injury, and also Drew Brees had that injury. We talked about this off air. Can you talk to us a little bit more about those kind of injuries, more of the ligament as opposed to the fracture, which has little different healing rates? Yeah, so for the audience, a 
ligament is a piece of tissue that connects two bones together that allows them not to shift out of place. Probably the most common sports ligament that we talk about is like an ACL and a knee, which is, stands for anterior cruciate ligament, but those ligaments also exist in the hand. So a really common injury to the hand that for athletes almost certainly requires surgery is something called the ulnar collateral ligament of the thumb. So it's actually the ligament at the knuckle of the thumb that prevents your thumb from really moving out of place. The reason it's so important is when you grip something like a football or basketball, your thumb really stabilizes from those ligaments. If you don't have it, your thumb would just shift out of place and you can't grip. Really common injury, the most high-profile injury, most high-profile athletes that have that are Kyle Lowry. I actually had one during the playoffs last year and played through it with a brace and had off-season surgery. Drew Brees, Mike Trout, Clint Capella, just to name a few. And all of these injuries have now been treated with a very specific technique to make a new ligament or repair the old ligament back into place and get them moving quickly. So just kind of a side point, what we do now is that we suture that ligament back to the bone, but we add a piece of really high strength wire that gets embedded in the bone also that basically acts like an internal splint to let them move right away. So these players normally would be out for two, three months, can get back to basketball in six to eight weeks with full range motion and be very, very uh, confident that they're not going to have an issue. Perfect. And then in regards to kind of returning back to sport, I know you mentioned range of motion. Is there anything that you look for in kind of seeing the, the athlete after, you know, the procedure and everything before they go to sport? Is there any test specifically you kind of check for their thumb movement and stuff? So, you know, for, for range of motion, we really move away from immobilization and doing certain techniques that allow for early range of motion. That's part of it and that gets incorporated in the therapy protocol. The stuff I look for for range of motion for the hand are individually monitoring, checking each joint, specifically the degrees that they're flexing and extending it, both actively and passively. Active motion is the motion you do on your own, and passive motion is the motion you get by forcing it down without you moving your tendons. And the reason that's important is that for certain injuries, especially in the hand, scar tissue between the tendon and the bone is a real big cause of stiffness. And that's really important, especially when you're doing your measurements, because if there's a discrepancy in active and passive motion, that means there's some sort of scar tissue that's blocking those tendons from moving the hand. So for my protocol, I do, you know, they get immobilized with early active range of motion. As soon as the bone is healing, usually four to six weeks, I let them start strengthening at their pain tolerance. And then for me, they return to play when they have about 80% grip strength in the contralateral hand. The NBA, the little more lags that probably let them return a little quicker, but they also have, you know, 24-7 rehabilitation. Uh, most people go a couple of days a week and do it at home. So it's just different kind of demands and, you know, they're million-dollar athletes and most people that we treat aren't. So, uh, but that's kind of what we do for therapy, just try to get them back gradually but the protocol the kind of benchmark i hit is grip strength because if you can demonstrate good grip strength you by definition can make a full fist and be able to be comfortable with the hand 
Perfect. I love that. I love how, you know, you're comparing one side versus the other and making sure you're at least 80%, like you said, hopefully ideally almost a hundred. One thing that I wanted to ask you, what about the non-operative management for that? How about for, you know, those athletes that are, like you said, how about if they don't want to have surgery? Have you seen good success for the non-operative? I know for ACL, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out with just, you know, doing the prehab and then there's like the copers who don't really need the ACL. Is that the same? Is there a lot of literature coming out for, you know, the UCL for the thumb? Yeah, so for the UCL, I don't think there is a for a professional athlete who is a plays with you know plays football or basketball anything dealing with you know ball sports. There is really no real role for non-operative treatment. The treatment can be delayed, like in Kyle Lowry's case, because he was in the NBA Finals. You're not going to shut yourself down <laughs> for possibly a once in a you know career opportunity. But surgery could easily be done in the off-season, and he was probably informed about his options, which has pretty similar results. Fortunately, most hand injuries can be treated non-operative. Very few actually need surgery, which is why we don't hear as much about it. We were talking earlier that last year was a huge anomaly. We've ne- I've never heard of so many operative hand procedures being done, but the injuries were also a little more different. So fortunately, for, for especially for fractures, it means some sort of immobilization when they're not playing. If the fracture is very stable, they can go back with straps between their fingers in a couple of weeks. If they're more unstable, they're in a cast or some sort of removal brace for about four weeks, and then they can go back as soon as their pain is better, just with the side of caution that there is always a risk for refracture. So they always, if you notice, they always have a glove or straps between their fingers. Magic Johnson spent a lot of his career taping two of his fingers together. If you ever look at the clips, because he had finger dislocations. If you look at Isaiah Thomas, when he goes on ESPN, some of his fingers are still bent and swollen, probably from dislocations. Kobe Bryant had the same thing. So these are super common injuries, and people are okay dealing with the pain and swelling as long as they can play, especially being such high-profile athletes. Yeah, no, that's interesting because we do see a lot of basketball players with, you know, how you mentioned, like retired basketball players, their fingers are not as straight as others, you know, and they're a little bit more bent. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit more about jam fingers? I know it's a huge topic. A lot of basketball players, you know, I've had it so many times. You try to get a ball, hits you right in the fingertip or you go up for a rebound or something. What exactly is a jam finger? So a jammed finger is kind of a more common term for just contact, direct contact with the finger from a ball that causes pain. The biggest misconception is that a jammed finger is benign or doesn't have any consequence. So I tell you know my patients who come in seeing they jam their finger, the first thing I always do is examine them, see where it's hurting and check their motion, even if it's limited, and get an x-ray. You'd be shocked at how many jammed fingers really have a uh, fracture but even if they have a tiny fracture, a lot of people don't notice it. The issue is when there is some sort of deformity in their finger where something just doesn't look right, or the finger is not moving, or if it's not moving at all. And unfortunately, we see a ton of jammed fingers that come in three, four, five weeks out, and it's a much different problem. So I'd say the most common jam finger we see with basketball is something called a mallet finger. It's very common in baseball also. And that's basically when a finger gets hit by a ball head on, and something called the extensor tendon on the back of the finger ruptures and the finger droops down. That can sometimes have a fracture associated with it. And that's actually what Dirk Nowitzki had in the finals. So 
fortunately, I mean, I can't even remember the last time I ever had to do surgery on it. These almost always heal with a splint, but it's literally six to eight weeks of a splint. So Dirk actually wore a splint in the finals. If you look at the videos there, you can see it. The second finals where he played the Heat and, sorry, the one where he beat the Heat uh, with, uh, with LeBron James in 2011. He has a, actually has a splint on in the final few games. And in, the, in baseball, they actually tell players, you're out for six weeks because of it's such a high risk and they can't grip for this tiny baseball. So it's interesting, like the, the management is the same, but the thing that's variable always has to be returned to play because it always depends on the specific needs of the player. No, that's huge. I mean, I think we talked about this off air. Like I had jammed my finger once and I was like, you know what? It's just a regular jammed finger. And the only reason I went to get an x-ray was to try to get out of a biology test the next morning. I did get out of the biology test, but I ended up coming in the cast for six weeks. So, I mean, it was good and bad. But uh, one thing that I had is like, I know you mentioned once you have it, you got to, you know, check an x-ray, get the range of motion. What happens if we delay that process? You know, if you don't, yeah, don't get to see you for a while. Yeah, I've had, you know, unfortunately, I've seen several patients like that. And the reason for someone to ever see a physician is if something's wrong. So most people, if you jam a finger and you're moving okay, you're going to do fine. But if you can't move it, there's an issue. So I've seen tons of dislocated fingers. I took, I just recently took care of a guy who was at work, dislocated his finger, didn't tell anyone for six weeks. So that, in my, my mind, by six weeks, you can't even pop it back into place. That's yeah. surgery. And the more you wait, you could have nerves or vessels that get injured. You can have skin problems. If it's a fracture, like I took care of another a younger girl who fractured her finger in a car accident and for insurance reasons couldn't see anyone for like six weeks and her finger was dislocated and fractured and at some point if the joint's really injured you can't recover that and you're thinking about other options such as just letting it go with therapy for a while and possibly fusing the joint or replacing the joint later depending on what it is so it's very important if, if there's a thought something might be broken at least get an x-ray because that's you could save a lot of morbidity and pain and time and money if you do that. Perfect. And another question I had to follow up, let's talk about just like the management during the game. Let's say, you know, when I happened, when it happened to me, I kept on playing through it. I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, so I should have just sat down or what do you suggest for anyone that goes through like, you know, those, and should they just completely just like, call it quits for, for that day and go seek out some medical attention if it prolongs or can they play through it? But are there any repercussions for that? So I think truthfully, you know, anyone who plays sports, if you kind of get banged up or jam your finger, you're going to hold it for a little while, see how it goes and you'll keep playing, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And as I tell everyone, if you get, I mean, it's up to them. Ideally, if something's hurting enough where you can't play properly, you would sit out. And I think that's what most people do. They self-limit and, you know, what we see commonly is that even if there's just a small little chip fracture or a dislocation that pop back into place, you can move those right away. But the thing is that even those are still swollen and painful for up to three months sometimes. So for simple things, you know, if a patient, you know, has a dislocation and it's been a couple of days, and like, hey, something's wrong and they come see me, that's ideal because they recognize something's wrong. The problems are when people, recognize something's wrong but think it's going to get better and while most of these do a lack of motion where it's kind of stuck it's a bad problem 
Yeah, no, for sure. That's why you have those people. Oh yeah, I can only move my finger this way, or I can't. You know, it throws mm-hmm. off your whole shot mechanics, dribbling, everything. I like that. What other injuries would you say that are most common? We covered like ligamentous, you know, fractures, little dislocations. Is there anything else that you've seen that are common, like hand injuries, in regards to basketball players? Somewhat more unusual, but I've definitely seen some nerve issues in basketball players and football players. So if a ball strikes the elbow which I've seen in a couple of basketball players, they can have something called ulnar neuropathy, where it's the funny bone we call the ulnar nerve can be pinched in the elbow. Um, Marcus Mariota for the Titans had it a year ago. And a lot of these players who have like uh, ulnar collateral ligaments, injuries of the elbow, they tend to get inflammation there. That can be really debilitating sometimes, especially for people who um, dunk, where they really have to stretch up there. And I've seen the same thing with carpal tunnel in the hand, but that's much more uncommon. But, you know, it's traumatic injuries. We're talking about fractures, dislocations, um, tendon injuries can happen, but they're also much more uncommon. Perfect. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen those in the clinic too. And they have, sometimes they do that owner nerve, where they move the owner nerve right out of that position. It's pretty crazy. I've seen a basketball player with it. And he's like, yeah, every time I move my hand a certain direction, extends it, his, number, his hand would go numb no way Mm -hmm. and um, it was pretty crazy another thing that I have a question for you is what do you you know a lot of people where you know how you're talking about the tapes and their and their fingers is there any like devices that you recommend or find that like hey this is actually helpful a lot of people wear wrist guards you know they're playing basketball some I know obviously following an injury but a lot of people tape up their fingers what do you uh can you kind of tell us like the fact of the myth you know is it really helpful or Yeah, so for finger dislocations or finger fractures that are healing, taping your finger works really well. So the idea is that if you say injure your index finger and your middle finger is normal, if you tape your index finger to your middle finger, the middle finger basically acts like a splint where your index finger won't get caught like on a jersey or a basketball. So that works very well because it does two things. It allows, you know, allows the basketball player to feel more comfortable, but also protects their hand. And we do that if they're really minor injuries like dislocations that go back into place. So like Steph Curry had his couple fingers taped up during that series, which is pretty common. Wrist guards and all that are more, they're all, a lot of it's for mental support and just to understand what's going on. These wrist guards do help for pain control if you're really using it, like in basketball. But I don't see many NBA players where stiff wrist guards they're all kind of flexible and may help to get and get some compression and another thing that that's become very popular is actually a kinesio tape which is called k-tape you see james harden always on his shoulder he has that some other players have it on their elbows and there is some pretty good science behind it i personally am a huge fan um, just very anecdotally my therapists have loved it and they've used it a lot and the idea is that it takes it does a distribution of force throughout the muscle, kind of how some people use uh, braces for tennis elbow and things like that. So it's cheap, it's effective. I tell patients, if, you, if it works for you, use it. You know, there's no real loss with it. So there's definitely a benefit from it. Um, they've done a ton of research in the NBA and also sports about these things. And uh, you, def- you probably see more players than not having some sort of protective device, whether it's the knees or the hands or the shoulders to help them along. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's huge. I, I like to use K-tip as well. I mean, you know, we use it sometimes like, 
even a psychological barrier for the patient, you know, even like the K tape is not going to restrict their range of motion. Cause I know a lot of the assistive devices kind of sometimes restrict your motion. This one won't really restrict their motion. They're like, Oh, it feels great. It's like, all right, we got to keep on doing it. <laughs> you know, it's, it might be psychosocial, <laughs> but we got to, you know, if it helps them feel better, play better, I'm all for it. And as long as it's not detrimental to their, to themselves. No, this is great info regarding like hand injuries. I want to ask you a question that we ask everyone. What's your favorite basketball memory? You know, I know you're a huge Laker fan, so hopefully it's a Laker one, but it could be a different one. So I got to name three of them. I'll do kind of an older one, recent one, and kind of in the middle. So the oldest one that I remember was 2004 Kobe hitting the game winner over the Blazers in the Western Compass Finals. I remember exactly what we're doing. We're having like a barbecue at our house and we're hanging outside watching it. And then we all, the whole family went in and we just couldn't believe it. So that was pretty memorable. Another one I love is Baron Davis, just totally posterizing Kirilenko. Kirilenko, yeah. Which was the last good Warriors scene before the current Warriors. That was just like, yeah, in your face, like, you know, making a statement. And the most recent one that I still like replay over and over again is Kawhi Leonard hitting the game, the series oh. winner over Embiid and Ben Simmons last year, which was just like, you don't see series winners in such a dramatic fashion. Oh you know, he was God. covered well and he still hit that shot. So those are, if I had to name three, you know, it's, I can't even pick one, but those are just very like, iconic to me. No, that's huge. I mean, I remember like the Baron Davis on Andre Karolenko. It was just like a crazy, who was the head coach? It was a Nelson, right? Or for the work? No. Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't remember. It was, it was just a crazy dunk. I think he went straight to the middle and then Karolenko jumped up and they kind of caught bodies. And then he just cocked it back and dunked it on him. That was amazing. And then uh, Kawhi shot was, it was just so dramatic. You know how it bounces off the rim. So dramatic. <laughs> and his whole facial expressions in a deep squat position, looking at the ball, and then a bead. It was crazy. No, those are good. I mean, I would say, like, yeah. one of my favorite ones is that Robert Ori, and it's just all Laker ones. Derek Fisher, point four. It's just too many of them. Hopefully, we have some more to come. You know, where can, just to end the podcast, where can people find you? I know you mentioned you're going to come to California soon, hopefully, you know. Um, where can they find you on Instagram, website? Where can they reach out to you for any questions or anything? Yeah, great question. So I'm actually building my own website that should be up pretty soon. And the handle is same thing as my Instagram. So it's my first name, A-M-A-R, last name, Patel, P-A-T-E-L-M-D.com. So I'm on Instagram right now. That's my Instagram handle. And then I'll be on, my website will be up probably in the next month or so. Perfect. And we'll include all his information in our media notes. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook with the handle at Basketball Docs. Our website is www.thebasketballdoctors.com or you can email us at thebasketballdoctors at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and following us. We hope you learned something valuable from our discussion today and use this knowledge to get a leg up over the competition. We would love to continue bringing you information regarding all things basketball. So please rate us, subscribe, comment, and tell your friends. Let's ball for life.